Happiness versus Flourishing, Episode 8. In this week's edition, we talk with Dr. Linda Shaw and we find out about dealing with change. She's a neuroscientist and she helps entrepreneurs, corporations, individuals driving change, embracing change. Um, because these are really essential skills in order to actually see growth in, in organizations and in individuals. And so she really helps people to become more effective and influential by taking greater control of their brain. And it's a, it's a lot easier than you might think. So we're going to find out a lot more about the brain in this episode with Dr. Linda Shaw. This is the podcast where we aim to give you ideas on ways that you can improve your life, many different facets of life, where just some small changes can lead to a much more flourishing life. Why not subscribe, leave a review for us? That way, the more reviews that people leave, the more other people get to find out about the podcast and to benefit from some of the wisdom shared by many of our guests. So I hope you enjoy this week's show. Happiness versus flourishing. My guest today is Dr. Linda Shaw. How are you, Linda? I'm very well, thank you, Tony. How are you doing? I'm pretty good, and thank you for taking the time to, to be a guest on this. And I've I've obviously, obviously watched you last night in your in the talk you gave at the Professional Speaking Association. It was really enjoyable. Thank you. Thank you very much. And so, neuroscience. What what, what is your title? I'm a neuroscientist um, and I specialise in change in business. So my background is um, I was in business for myself for some years and then I went back into academia and did a psychology with social anthropology degree, then another degree, master's, and then I did my my doctorate in neuroscience. So and then I came out and mashed it all together, um, my my business background with the neuroscience and the psychology and even the social anthropology. So you've got this very strange person so when you ask me what's my title it's a bit confusing but I do tend to say tell people that I'm a neuroscientist and it's a it's clearly a subject that really excites you I mean the you, the, the passion that you show for it is is really um contagious thank you that's, that's I, I'd love it to be contagious because it's such a brilliant topic I mean it's it's the brain you know when I first saw my own brain being on, and when I went into a, an fMRI scanning machine, I just was thought, "Oh crumbs, that's my brain!" Mm. Absolutely fascinating. Um, what we can and can't do, and actually how much control we have over our destiny, people don't realise. And I think not control of everything, of course, we we shouldn't have by any means. But mm. we, if we understand the brain, we can definitely choose what we attend to and focus on. Mm. For people listening maybe who aren't so familiar with neuroscience, how would you describe it? Neuroscience is, if you think about psychology and psychology theories, they are that, they're theories. Hmm. Neuroscience has come along maybe 25, 30 years ago now, and um, it's taken some of those theories and see if we can turn it into objective measuring, scientific measuring, by looking at the brain and, or the brain waves in various, various scanning equipment. So it's, more, it's, a, it's a, an objective way at looking at how the brain operates and the psychology of why we do what we do. 
And what what is it that first attracted uh, you to that? Well, what first attracted me was when I was doing my master's in psychology, I was looking at the profile of my professor and um, on on the university website. And this man is a genius. He's absolutely fascinating chap. And um, at the very bottom of his bio bio was a um, consciousness, the word consciousness. And I, I have been reading about consciousness since I was 14. Hmm. And I, his name was Michael, or is Michael, and I, and I went into his office. I said, Michael, I, what is this consciousness thing? He said, oh, yeah, it's a hobby of mine. Now, trust me, if this guy has, says he's a hobby, he's, he, it is not. He, is a, he will become exceptionally well-read exceptionally quickly. He's a very, very bright man. So I asked him if, he'd, he, if he would um, supervise a PhD for me in consciousness studies using scanning equipment, fMRI scanning equipment, and he agreed. Mm. So it was, I was so excited because, as I say, I've been, I'm, I've been fascinated by consciousness since I was 14 years old. So be able to go to study it neuroscientifically, mm. or indeed some parts of it neuroscientifically, was, was a, such a gift, such a gift. I loved what I do in my doctorate. And, I mean, I was thinking about asking you a question about consciousness, but it's such a massive topic. What would, um, I mean, consciousness, what, how would you describe, for most people who maybe haven't really thought about consciousness, what would you say? Well, consciousness itself, some people think of consciousness as the soul mm-hmm. um, and um, various things, various words like that, various ideas like that. Um, and to be honest with you, in terms of neuroscience, we're actually not a, not even off the starting block mm. um, studying um, consciousness at that level. But what mm. we are very good at is studying the difference between conscious and unconscious processing. Mm. So um, my, my particular study was looking at unconscious processing of emotion. So I had, I was... People were in the fMRI scanning machine, and I was showing them um, emotional images or emotional content in images below, way below conscious awareness, and seeing what was happening in the brain. So I was then, therefore, I could study um, what what is lighting up and how quickly does the brain light up, if you like, um, mm. looking at things that we're not even aware we're looking at. Mm. And it, 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 that, that is how we study it um, in, in neuroscience at the moment. Maybe the next generation of scanning equipment will open up a whole new way of looking at things. And maybe even that new scanning equipment and research will show us that we have to undo our understanding so far and rethink it. But that's the beauty of research in an embryonic science, which, which is what neuroscience is. Mm. And one of the things I, that I love about science and that is so seemingly misunderstood on social media is, I mean, proper science is about trying to disprove your theory in many ways to see where it's wrong. And then, so when, especially it's been come to, to light with this whole COVID thing about initially certain things were said about COVID and then a month or so later, it was changed because new evidence had been found. Evidence had been found. But a lot of people on social media say, so oh, these scientists don't know what they're talking about. One minute they're saying this, and now suddenly they're saying this, which and it's just showing a complete misunderstanding of what it's really all about. Totally. Drives me nuts. Um, uh, you know, we, it's something as new as that, COVID-19, um, you, you, you can only build upon knowledge. 
So um, in, in terms of any kind of scientific inquiry, you build upon what is already known or already been shown by previous research, and you just keep adding to it and adding to it. And of course, in, in, in the world of science, the null hypothesis is just as interesting as the hypothesis you've, you've, you've demonstrated. So, mm. that, so, that, so if you can, if in, in your words, disprove a theory, that's interesting. But in in the popular press world and in and in the commercial world, no, that's not interesting. That's not what they want. They which mm. is why we get a clash between science and and the way commercial um, organisations interpret things. Because to a scientist, um, not finding evidence is just as interesting as finding evidence. Mm. Um, um, so we a scientist can be compromised, and it's a very very fine line we, we have to tread. Well, and and on that, I, I was reading an article a couple of days ago from a from a neuroscientist, and one of the things that she said is, um, I can't remember if it was just for in neuroscience or if it was science in general, but uh, scientists don't like the word fact. No, 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 absolutely not, and we don't even like the word proven. Mm. Um, it, no, because there's there is always all, always um, room for. Um, Outliers, there's always room for new research that is going to demonstrate something different. Yeah, absolutely. It's, 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 a, it's a dynamic. It, it's constantly evolving. What would you say, um, for maybe people listening again who aren't so familiar with, with neuroscience, what would be a reason for them to, to maybe read a book on it or to, to learn a li- little bit more about it, especially for most people listening to this, so entrepreneurs, you know, they're in, they've got their own business. What, what reasons would you give? When you understand a little bit about the brain, you've got a better understanding of your own behavior, a better understanding of other people's behavior, and a better understanding of how to communicate. Um, and not only that, I mean, why wouldn't you want to know about yourself? <laughs> it's, mm. you're, you're, it's like the most fascinating topic, isn't it? You hear your own name and it's the best thing you can hear. Um, mm. so, um, to understand your brain, for me, um, I, I, when I... Uh, talk about it with with companies and corporations it's very much um about a, an applied way of u- using neuroscience so i d- it's, people the word interesting is the bane of my life mm. because i you know as soon as somebody says oh my gosh that's really interesting you've actually know that they, you've lost them they're glazing over mm. it is interesting but what is makes it important is that it's applicable tomorrow morning at 9am for very strong business reasons, for marketing, mm. for sales, for communicating, for employee engagement, for, oh, goodness me, there's a huge, huge menu of things that it's value, very valuable to know. So mm. that's that's why um, it's a good idea to pick up a book or speak to somebody reputable about neuroscience. And by the way, please speak to somebody who's reputable about it because there's an awful lot of neuro nonsense out there mm-hmm. actuated by popular press um, that is not worth not worth thinking about. So, But if you want a book to start you thinking about the strangeness of the human brain, the fascinations of the human brain. I love Oliver Sacks. Um, he's a neuroscientist who sadly died a couple of years ago now. And one of his books is called Musicophilia. And he's, he was an applied neuroscientist. And so the book is just full of case studies of the mm. importance and the strangeness of music and the brain. And that's really a lovely start for someone mm. who might be interested in neuroscience. 
Uh, one of the things you mentioned just then is about the to be careful about the kind of quacks that are into into neuroscience. So, how would people know the difference for anyone who doesn't know anything about this? Okay, um, I heard somebody the other day say, "I know everything there is to know about the brain." Hmm. Wrong. <laughs> hmm. A neuroscientist doesn't know everything there is to know about the brain. Nobody knows everything there is to know about the brain. They... Well, apart, apart, apart from Donald Trump, I would imagine. Oh, well, exactly. <laughs> well, there you go. Now, that's the person who would say such nonsense. So, um, but therefore, you know, you know straight away, I'm not going to be listening to you then. Um, mm. because that's just crazy, absolutely crazy. They People who say things like um, left brain is logical, right brain is creative, no, mm. it's not. That is far too simple. Uh, we do know the hemispheres are slightly different and do slightly different things, but mm. we use the whole brain all the time, and um, we, we, do, we, don't, we can't label anybody more creative because they're, they're right-brained or more logical left-brained. It's not true, mm. nonsense. Using 10% of our brain? Nonsense. We use the whole brain. Um, somebody telling you that, that we are multitask, especially women? No, we don't. We actually switch from one task to another rapidly, and there's always a trade-off in terms of time and efficiency. Um, mm. Oh, there's, So as soon as you hear these neuro-myths coming out, neuro-nonsense, then you know actually that person isn't, isn't, doesn't know enough about neuroscience for you to have confidence in what they're saying. Mm. I, mean, I know I, again from the the course that I did with you. The myths is there's there's a lot of different myths around that, that you dispelled during the course that we did. Yeah, absolutely. They, they, again, um, that, that does push one of my buttons because um, the, the the brain is an amazingly complex organ, and mm. you can't simplify things the way that you hear people simplify things. Although, having said that, you can human behavior you can boil down to um uh simplifying certain things to make it understandable and to make it applicable on um, on a daily basis but the brain is not as a simple organ it is com- very very complicated isn't there when um I mean, going back to we were talking about consciousness just now and i i can't remember the figures but i i remember reading a, 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 an article or a book about saying that most of what we do on a daily basis is done at an un- unconscious level. It's not that often that we're really conscious about what we're doing. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Um, several years ago, there was a documentary in the UK uh, with some eminent neuroscientists, excellent people, and they were all individually asked, separately asked, how much of the brain is conscious processing, how much of the brain is unconscious processing. And they all independently agreed first of all that we can't know for sure because we can't exactly measure that 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 particular issue however what they all agreed on is that if you've got an a4 sheet of paper and put a single dot on that a4 sheet of paper and that dot is conscious processing in the brain and the rest of the white paper is unconscious processing so it's massive absolutely massive and that plays into default behaviors and people and um, sort of, I guess people, default reaction may be of reacting angrily to something or be reacting sad or, or whatever the emotion might be because it's just, it's done unconsciously. Yeah. 
Absolutely. And of course, you want that sometimes because um, unconscious processing is fast. It's extremely, re- extremely fast responses like that, which gets us out of trouble, which is, mm. is of course, the fight or flight mechanism. Mm. Um, and so you do want a lot to go uncon- uh, to be um, processed unconsciously for speed and for mm. safety. However, there is often things that go wrong. For instance, um, what because we have we're surrounded by a cacophony of stimuli all the time, masses of it all of the time. The brain can only cope with a small amount. So mm. what it does is it tries to cope with. Um, consciously process some information and then quickly file it away in unconscious processing. So it's called heuristics, like shortcuts for the brain to go straight into unconscious processing so that we can then concentrate on other stuff. We've got room to be able to give attention to other information and other input, which mm. is great. But as we all know, with heuristics, um, you get something, a trade-off, uh, which is unconscious bias. Mm. Which, which is huge in business at the moment, absolutely massive. So unconscious mm. bias means, for instance, that we're looking at our attention has gone to this little creature walking across the floor and it's got four legs, a tail and two ears and um, it's quite big, it's not too titchy, so therefore it must be a dog. Mm. Um, and then uh, so that's filed away now in the dog category in your in your heuristics in your shortcut so you need instantly look at this creature go dog and move on and something else mm. but what that in that in turn what that means is you now think to yourself oh that's a dog so therefore it's going to bark but in actual fact you may have misfiled it slightly and that is now actually a cat and you're incorrect so that's where we get biases when it comes to um people prejudice against people of colour, um, sexual orientation and all those things that is or gender, age and so on and so forth because we fold them away in these categories that helps us simplify um, understanding what we're looking at or dealing mm. with. Um, which means that then we come up with all sorts of um, crazy notions about people which are totally incorrect because we're not seeing them as individuals. And when you were just talking about heuristics and it really reminded me of the thinking fast and slow, Daniel Kahneman. Yeah. Where he really drills down into all of that, doesn't it? Great book. Really good book. That's another one to recommend to your listeners. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I think I read that about seven or eight years ago. And I, I started reading it again last year because it's I just forgot so much of it. Well, there's just so much to that book. Yeah. yeah. There is, um, it, it, and Cameron is a, is a great author and an excellent contributor. So there's a good person to listen to. That's the other thing you asked originally, how do we know who to listen to, who's reputable? Um, mm. One way is to look up the authors to see what they've written and um, and if they've got a, a good, strong background in neuroscience as well. And of course, Cameron certainly has. I imagine is a lot of people struggle with, and it's something we were speaking about before the before we started recording. Is about the habits that we all have, and most people have probably at least one or two habits that they want to change, that they want to stop doing, and there's a number of habits that they want to start doing, but they just for whatever reason can't get around to it. What would you say to them to people about habits? Um. The first thing to rem- to recognise is that habits are soft wired, which which means that we've learned to have them, and if we've learned to have them, we can unlearn to have them. They're not hard wired, so we can do something about it. We're not helpless when it comes to habit habits. The, the the second thing to mention is that 
habits um, to, is the toughest part of changing a habit is to actually identify it. So typically a habit, because it's, it's automatic, um, we, we're not even aware of it at all. It's not in our conscious processing. So um, it's, we're, if we're not aware of it, then we don't know it's, it might be a habit that we need to change. So if you, for instance, are now working from home a lot more, like so many of us are, then um, and you're drinking more coffee and you have a habit of always having a biscuit with a cup of coffee, you're drinking more coffee. You could have maybe six or ten cups of coffee a day. That could be six to ten biscuits. And then you wonder why you put five pounds on in weight. So then you think to yourself, hang on a minute, I've got to do something here. Christmas is coming up. That means I'm going to put even more weight on. It means I'll be a stone heavier by the end of the year. So um, you try to think what you're doing. So that's the point. You think. And mm. you have to sit down and work out what on earth it is you do. And then you identify what it is that's going on. So identifying this trigger, which is the coffee, and the reward is the biscuit, is step number one. Mm. Once you've identified it, now you know you can do something about it. And you can either replace the trigger, which is the coffee, or replace the reward, which is the biscuit. Mm. So you could, for instance, not have so much coffee, perhaps have um, a glass of hot water with a slice of lemon in it or mm. something like that so you don't feel compelled to, have, to meet this habit of the biscuit. But the point mm. is with, with, the, um, with a habit like this, it becomes an empty habit a habit that no longer serves you. And because it's repeated so much, it's actually becoming harmful because it's it's detrimental to your health. Mm. So if you have now identified this unhelpful habit that actually you don't even enjoy anymore because, um, you know, 10 cups of coffee and 10 biscuits later, you probably only registered the enjoyment of the first one and the rest is just a, a, a habit that no longer serves you. Now you think to yourself, right, I'm going to change this. So you change the trigger or you change the reward by if you're going to have that 10 cups of coffee, then don't eat the biscuit. Change the biscuit for a carrot or something, uh, what, whatever, whatever you think it is. And then the key there is to actually that new replacement to enjoy it. Hmm. As you see, the habit is actually driven in the striatum, which is, which is deep in the brain. And it, the striatum is very, very well connected to many other areas of the brain, including the prefrontal cortex, which means you can think about it. So although habits are unconscious processing, we are still in control of them because of the prefrontal cortex. It's controlling whether we do it or not, which is yeah. fantastic. So, but equally, the striatum is very much um, um, involved in the um, reward system of the brain. So if you can, whatever habit you want to replace, the new habit, if it's enjoyable, if it stimulates the dopamine circuitry and the reward circuit in the brain, you're more inclined to repeat that new behavior so that it becomes a habit because you're enjoying it. Mm. Now, the old habit won't completely disappear. It still sits there. But because you're not using it anymore, it, it, it weakens. It becomes it doesn't become so strong. But your mm. new habit will become stronger and stronger with lovely, lovely myelin coating that new neural pathway. So that you then the brain goes to, by default to the new habit as opposed to the old habit because the brain will go to default because um, it's a it tends to go for the easiest route. Mm-hmm. You need to replace a, a neural pathway with a, a, with something that's more more used, if you like. So the brain goes to that new habit more than the 
old habit. So that's mm. how you replace habits. And one thing that I liked what you said about last night, there's this nonsense around um, in different books and so-called experts who say, oh, you need 21 days to install the next habit or 44 days or six, or whatever number they come up with. Yeah, I, I worry about numbers. I, hmm. I worry about people give, being told that they can uh, do something in X amount of days. Because say, for instance, uh, somebody said you can change that particular habit in 24 days. Well, what happens on the 25th day when you go back to the old habit? Mm. You're going to feel a failure. Mm. You're going to feel that you've just wasted your time. You're going to feel even lower in your self-esteem and self-worth because you've let yourself down. I mm. can't see that as helpful. And mm. also, we're all individuals. We're all different. So I think it is important that if we want to change a habit, we go through the steps I've described, but we just keep on with a new habit until in the end, that's the one we th- that we go to by by default, um, and and not give ourselves these timelines. And I remember the story you told us when I was doing a course with you about the uh, the standard life. Yeah, that that was interesting. Um, when I first left academia, um, and I wanted to, as I say, mash mash my business experience with my academic experience. Um, I, I hit a brick wall very much because I would go into companies and, and corporations and I would talk about unconscious processing of emotion and they would go, oh, we don't want to talk about that pink, fluffy stuff. We want to save money or make money. So mm. I went away with my tail between my legs thinking, no oh, crumbs, this isn't working at all. Mm. And then about eight or nine years ago, Standard Life, the big pension provider, um, employed, employed me as an, an independent advisor because they wanted to look at, with, at whether emotion in their marketing material made a difference to whether people would take out any savings plans or pension plans. Mm. So they arranged a, um EG scanning experiment where people are wired up with the, with the skull cap and um, looking at their brain frequency and the brain waves and the like. And it transpired that not only were people, there was more activation in key areas when people looked at emotion in marketing, but mm. even more so with positive emotion and even more so that they were actually galvanized to do something about it and buy the products from Standard Life. Mm. And um, they were quite aghast because they've been typically been sending out marketing of which people in their industry tend to do, which are pie charts and very boring, dull information that is reams long because they have to because of, of various things they must comply with. Um, mm. But nevertheless... It was. It doesn't. In, it doesn't enthrall you unless you have really got a problem right now. Mm. So if you have got a problem that um, a, a savings plan could help with at this moment, then you're more inclined to engage. Mm. It's something that is you can put off, then you won't engage. So because the brain habituates very rapidly, and it will be not interested anymore. But if you, um, with some kind of positive emotion, you actually draw people in into wanting your product because you're talking about saving money for holidays or for your children or your grandchildren, then you're more inclined to act upon it. Something I just thought of is, I, I guess it's pretty closely uh, connected to neurosciences, emotional intelligence. Yeah. Yeah, emotional intelligence is is, uh, exceedingly important. People who can um, communicate well 
um, with others, um, and it has been shown that um, uh, IQ is not as important as EQ, emotional intelligence, when it comes to being efficient in the workplace. Hmm. A lot of people, I think less so now, the last few years it seems there's less people sort of doubting the usefulness and benefits of meditation and there's, there's a lot of science behind the benefits of meditation now aren't there yeah very much so um when we're in a light meditation we put the brain in alpha state alpha frequency is um the most creative state we're in um so it's a, it's the sort of place you're in when you just wake up in the morning you're not you're not quite awake you're not quite asleep Mm. wallowing there and that's when you will come up with all sorts of answers to problems you didn't, hadn't even consciously thought were in your head mm. i strongly suggest you keep a notepad by the bed at that point but you can you can get the brain into alpha frequency throughout the day just by staring out of the window watching the rainfall or going into a, a, a meditation um so even if it's just counting the breath you will find that the brain actually becomes more efficient because you are diminishing overwhelm and anxiety and being able opening up the mind to creative thinking because it's at alpha frequency but equally mm. even in deep meditation um there's been a lot of studies with nuns and monks that have shown that their brains are uh, i think it's in particular it's the corpus callosum is strengthened which is the bundle of nerves between the left hemisphere and the right hemisphere so the theory is that perhaps both hemispheres are working more efficiently together because mm. of what the meditation is doing to the brain. And you, you must remember that the brain changes behavior and behavior changes the brain. So this is why I say we have more control than we realize. So if you're going to practice meditation, I think it's an excellent idea to um, to improve the efficiency of the way you're thinking. And wouldn't it also help people's focus? Totally. Absolutely, totally. You get much clearer um, in your focus because you're, the noise is gone. Mm. You've, you've sort of diminished all the noise and the stuff that's interfering with your thinking and you're feeling as if you're spinning loads of plates and running around like a headless chicken trying to keep them up there. Um, you, will, uh, you, you, can, you can attend to things, you can pay attention to things, which is your consciousness. You're paying attention to what is more valuable to attend to than stuff that's not as valuable and there's so much distraction around now and it's just each year there's more and more distraction than we've ever had before so focus is so more important oh completely and our attention is really a faulty system it's tiny our attention is is only on a tiny amount of information or tiny amount of stimuli at any one time Mm. so therefore if we are Um, feeling anxious or there's too much going on it's very easy for our attention to go looking at the wrong thing or the Mm. least helpful thing at that particular moment Mm. in the the course that you you know that I did with you is that um, just aimed at at sort of speakers and coaches or is it a, a wider range of people it's aimed at as well um, the idea is that I wanted when I wrote the course is I wanted to empower people to use neuroscience in their business properly. Mm. So it's for anybody who's in the professional world at all or in the working environment who wants to understand the brain a bit more so that they function better for their work. Um, mm. It's not just for speakers and coaches and trainers, but there is a, there, there, there is a, um, 
coaches especially love the course um, and they use it hugely with their clients. But I get a lot of people who are um, managers uh, wanting to be good managers, wanting to understand how to how to um, motivate their people better and be and be good employers. Very. Well, do you want to describe a bit more about the course and how it could be? So, so for someone listening, maybe thinking, "Oh, you know, what? How could that help me?" Do you want to maybe tell people a little bit more? Okay, um, it's an online program, but it's probably I'm considering is the most personal online program there is because there's a huge amount of input from me. So there are six sessions, and each session is um, contains three to six videos. Um, and they are I, at the moment I release them one a week. So um, we have uh, a video um, is accessed or a session rather is accessed um, on a particular topic. Like the uh, the first topic is a, a foundation in the biology of the brain, so that it, which is the most technical, but you need to do that to understand the rest of it. So it's very basic. Uh, but it is a foundation in in the biology and, and the anatomy of the brain. And then we talk about um, we have a, we have a whole session on conscious and unconscious processing. We have a whole session on habits, motivation. Uh, goodness me, what else is there? Um, oh, oh, gosh, was it behavior change? One, yeah, behavior change definitely huge on behavior change, on communication, on humor, on rapport, on health in terms of our physical health and our nutrition. Um, there, there is a very broad, <clears throat> very broad spectrum of most of the things that we do on a daily basis that is based on neuroscientific evidence. And then after each session, we, we you're on a live call um, with, and I max the maximum people I take at any one time is just ten, so that when we're on a live call together, I can really listen to everybody individually, and mm-hmm. and help them use the neuroscience for their own specific needs for their own specific work. Mm-hmm. So it's very much bespoke for the individual. And then of course, there's what I then give people one to one sessions of two hours where we. We really nail it. We mm. really make sure that they that person has got everything they need in terms of neuroscience and psychology in, in order to improve their business life. And, and something as well in the live sessions that I found really good is that you're one of the other people doing a course will talk about something. And you think, oh, yeah, actually, I never thought about that. And so you learn a lot more just by some of the issues that other people bring up during the live sessions. Oh, yeah, that's what's so absolutely delightful. I mean, apart from the fact I love delivering the sessions, I'm learning. Mm. Um, um, because the, the, the communication is never one way. Mm. It's always two-way. So as much as I, I, am, I am working with others and helping them, they too are helping me without realising mm. they're doing it because they're making me think differently. They're showing me a different perspective because each person's different. And I'm understanding a little bit more about that particular person and how they are perceiving things and how they're going to use the information. It's fascinating. I love it. And you have so many, well, just from the course I did, there's a lot of very different characters on the on the one course, aren't there? Oh, yeah. It's wonderful. Um, uh, the next course coming up, or the course that's just be- beginning now, it, the characters in it are, are just sensational. Um, and of uh, course, you would. Uh, the, the, the whole point of the course, really, I think, is they will attract people who are have a hunger for learning, mm. who actually really want to know how they tick, 
really mm. want to know how other people tick, really want to be able to get outside of this overworld and actually get to a place of, of enjoying life better and, and, and mm-hmm. getting a, a better quality to their life because they, they're working it out. They're working out this amazing blob in the skull and, and what it can do to help them and how they can help how they can help their brain help them if you see mm. what I mean. So the characters that want that are, that are attracted to the course are really quite diverse. It's, it's delicious. Mm. Something you, you mentioned just now about the um, you're learning all the time, and I know that your when was it, did your book come out? Was it a couple of years ago? Yes, it was maybe three years now. Your brain is boss. Um, I wrote it again because I wanted to give people um, empower people with some tools so that they could uh, just conduct their life in a way that is less overwhelming and more efficient and more effective. That's why I wrote it, and it's it's a it's a very broad spectrum of a lot of topics. But and one of the things I was just thinking of when you were just saying about how you're constantly learning all the time. So I imagine since that book, since three years ago, you've got so many new ideas. And you are, are you planning on a new book, or what are your thoughts? Oh, that's a really good question. The scary question. <laughs> um, I am so busy with clients at the moment, which is not a complaint. I'm very, very grateful. Mm. Um, And I have so many new ideas based upon my experiences since I've written Your Brain is Boss, which you've quite rightly said, that for me to actually put, find the time to actually write the book, I think it's not going to be this year for sure. Mm. Maybe maybe if I get myself organized better with my timetable, I will have, have, have the chance. But... Yeah, I've got lots of new ideas on on that I think people would find useful. And uh, by the way, useful is my Achilles heel. I have to be useful. Um, mm. So I don't see the point of, of giving anyone anyone information unless they can really use it um, for great effect. So mm. there's a lot going on in my head that can I know can be useful and also fun. Mm. I, you know, we um, some of the things my work is can be is very very serious, but I don't take myself seriously, and I, I think we need to lighten up a little bit more. Even mm. though we've got, you know, some people are doing incredibly amazing things that are exceedingly serious, but if we take ourselves too seriously, we're in danger of getting bogged down. Mm. Well, actually, and on that topic, one well, one of the the modules in the course that we did was on on humour. Humor is a, uh, it's like a universal language. So cultural differences will break down as long as we're respectful of the different cultural differences in, it, in how we assimilate humor. Mm. So it's like, it's like a delicious universal language. And, of course, the, the cultural differences are huge. Um, but if we can laugh together, goodness me, do we break down barriers. Mm. Uh, we, we really do... Um, Come, get, we are better at communicating with one another and understanding one another when we when we can laugh together. Mm. Um, it's the same with music, really. The same thing when we appreciate music together, which breaks down cultural barriers. I'm very much. Um, uh, I want to be much more involved in collaboration. I really, honestly, and extremely naively thought that the 21st century would be about collaboration and kindness. 
boy, was I wrong. But it's we're only twenty years in, so we've got we've still got wind of the shout. But um, I think collaboration is uh, a key. We can't keep ostracizing ourselves, dividing ourselves, and and only noticing differences as opposed to enjoying differences and and working together. So I'm 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 very much into if we can use humour respectfully. I think that's a great tool to help that. Mm. We, earlier in the in the episode, we sort of touched upon that scientists generally are trying to disprove their maybe their own theories, and and you've mentioned a couple of times about how you're always learning, always you know sort of reading new stuff and whatever. How, how often are you? Do you read things maybe about from someone else's into neuroscience that initially you think mm, I don't agree with that at all, but then it, you, you come to maybe change your ideas about things? Is that something that happens often? Um, a good scientist will change their mind um, because that's the whole point. Hmm. We have an idea, we come up with an idea, and then that somebody else um, might say something different, and then we we don't agree with it. But then we'll investigate further. And um, when we investigate further, we can understand more why that person may have said that um, mm. and and start to maybe if we are in, in uh, if we are in, active in research, it, it could actually uh, jump start a whole new research project or a whole new experiment based upon mm. that. I mean, I know of two neuroscientists with whom I won't name who have spent their whole career in um, um, fighting one another. Um, trying to, the other one trying to argue with the the validity of that person's um, of that research and vice versa. They've made mm. the whole career on the back of this, and what that's done is it's pushed science forward. Mm. It's been it's fantastic to watch. I'm sure they're best mates, really. Mm. But in, you know, in terms of academia, they look like worst enemies. But mm. um, but what it's done is it's, it's given them the drive to investigate further and to go maybe go down avenues they wouldn't have gone down. Can you think of anything in the last few years that most people and maybe most scientists believe that we now realise wasn't correct? Oh well, that one of the one of the um, biggest is, of course, the effect or the uh, or the uh, breadth and depth and the capacity of neuroplasticity. Mm. It wasn't many years ago when we thought the brain you were born with it developed to a certain extent and that was it. Mm. Um, uh, but now we know absolutely not, a hundred percent not. So yes, we've changed our minds totally on that one. Um, mm. because we now know that uh, what we do environmentally, what we're thinking, what we're fi- all of those things will actually change the wiring of our brain. So mm. we can, we can, um, create new neural pathways, new synapses, new connections, new everything constantly on a daily basis if we stimulate the brain um, to create those. So our environment and our social upbringing and our social environment up until the day we die, we leave this earth no matter how old, it will continually change the brain accordingly. And and for older people, there's even more reason to be um, sort of stimulating the brain, isn't there? Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, research shows that um, in terms of uh, 
an aging brain or uh, let's face it the brain ages from birth but mm. um, a, a brain as it gets older um it the stimulation is needed in terms of a social um environment it's in term it needed for physical exercise uh, needed to learn something new that is quite hard um so something like learning a new language or learning a musical instrument or learning a new piece of music if you're already musical um all of those things are are incredibly helpful um to so that we age as the best we possibly can and because if they don't there's quite a few conditions that people can start is it uh, um alzheimer's and parkinson's yeah yeah absolutely there's a lot that um clearly you know we are some people have a genetic disposition to things but i i always say and i say over and over again our dna is not our destiny mm-hmm. um i you know i know somebody who um my father-in-law who i didn't know he died before i met, i met my husband he mm-hmm. um he he died of lung cancer um and uh but he was smoking 20 cigarettes a day now i don't know whether my husband has got uh, some kind of uh genetic um leaning towards a uh, lung cancer or not but he has, doesn't smoke hmm. so you know there's far less chance i mean in his environment he has taken away some of those um so uh, some of those things that antagonize what we may think we are have been born with now we don't unless you have a dna test you have no idea what 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 what's going on there hmm. but nevertheless it's not our destiny because it does also depend on what we do to ourselves yeah you just you just mentioned about how the recent sort of change of thinking on things like neuroplasticity and it made me think about in certain areas certain subjects you can read a book from say 30 40 years ago and it's still a really useful book but i guess then maybe in in areas like science and neuroscience you have to be careful with how far back a book you read because a lot of that might be outdated now Yeah, totally. Absolutely totally. I renew my academic neuroscience books um on a fairly regular basis because I get the next edition if I particularly like that book or those authors or those editors or mm. I will go with um a new neuroscientist who might be uh, uh, who got some really interesting research going on um and uh, and I will follow them a little bit more to find out what's going on. But yes, we do need to um renew our look at the dates of books especially in, in in an embryonic science like neuroscience uh, hmm. is evolving rapidly and where do you i mean how do you see because there's so much being learned about the brain and we and as you say we we've known so little about the brain how do you see this sort of developing over the next few years oh isn't that a lovely delicious question um i would like to think that the new generations of scanning equipment or generations of scanning equipment will be able to um track things that actually we don't know exist at the moment mm. um and maybe even find out what consciousness is which mm. of course we started our conversation but if we could <clears throat> if we could find that out it's like the last frontier it's like you know in the known universe that would be um, an amazing thing to um understand and learn is the, the the true nature of consciousness 
and what it actually means. And that, that, what, that I would find really exciting. And I'm going to have to live till I'm 200 years old, I think, before I, I recall, find out. But yeah, we'll see. Is that the area of the brain, of all the things that we don't know about the brain, is that the thing that you would most like to know or is there another area? No, consciousness really floats my boat. Mm. Um, uh, I've absolutely fascinated my consciousness. And as I say, there's really is little we know about it. Um, mm. There's lots of really fantastic researchers out there pursuing it. Um, mm. But we're, we're still really on the starting block when it comes to that. And are you aware how much, because there's, it often seems there's a lot of competition between, say, America and China and, and different countries. But when it comes to, to, to neuroscience, is there a lot of cooperation between scientists in different countries? Um, I can't speak for um, the experiences of other neuroscientists, but what I see is um, if you look through the journals, there, there doesn't seem to be a, a cultural issue because you will find Japanese researchers um, expanding upon research from Americans. You will find American researchers expanding upon research from uh, Europe or Russia or China, whatever. I, th- I think for us to move forward in science, collaboration is the best way forward. But And something that's really, ha- really interesting on, on this count is that a few years back, I went to Russia with family, and we were in. Uh, we went to Moscow and St. Petersburg, and we had a guide. We, we, I like whenever I'm in a city, I like to um, have a walking guide to talk us through things as we as we explore. Mm. And the our guide in Moscow, clearly a linguist. Um, was was talking about um, her career and, and was I ask, I ask a billion questions, and um, when Russia was Russia of old, um, she wasn't allowed to um, teach more than two hours a week English mm. in the universities um, because mm. it was all about the Russian development, mm. and because the the Russia Russia and the rest of the world didn't communicate about their findings and their and their own science and in they they evolved separately. Mm. When everything opened up, um, she was she mostly is employed to be an interpreter at conferences. And at this particular time, it was a medical conference. So we had the West and Russians together. And what she said was fascinating was how differently medicine had evolved in Russia and outside of Russia. Mm. Outside of Russia... Um, there was a lot more reliance on equipment, new scanning equipment and that sort of thing. There was less reliance on that in Russia. At that time, clearly this is all very different now. Mm. They had evolved um, without the equipment but being just as effective. Mm. I thought that was fascinating listening to this. Now, I can't honestly say hand on heart that I've investigated that scientifically to see if that is exactly how it has been. But this is her interpretation of what she found when she was the interpreter at a medical conference. So so you see, if we if we collaborate more, so we would actually perhaps evolve more richly than if we are 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 investigating things individually or mm. collectively in terms of countries or cultures. And and on what you just said, it reminds me of a story of um, 
So there's a there's a breathing technique called the oxygen advantage, which is based upon something called buteco. And Buteko comes from, uh, there was a, I think he was Ukrainian, but he, he, most of his work was in Russia. So he was Dr. Buteko. And he developed this, this breathing method, which is now known as the Buteko method, which is very um, helpful for people who have asthma and respiratory conditions. And it was very widely known, apparently, in, in Russia for, for many years during the Cold War. But no one in the West knew about it at all until the end of the Cold War. And then some people in the West started finding out about this. And now Buteyko is very widely known all over the world. Yeah. Yeah. And isn't that wonderful? Mm. I just think that sort of thing is is absolutely fabulous. Um, And it just opens our perspective as well because... If you think about somebody um, who might be um, a, a doctor um, who specialises in asthma in the West, mm. um, understanding that this, getting to this new information that might help their patients is, is just like really invigorating mm. and stimulating to see if it works and to understand the science behind it. That, that is just phenomenal. Mm. Linda, if people want to find out more about you, where, where would be the best places to go? You can find me on my website, which is uh, drlindashaw.com. That's D-R-L-Y-N-D-A-S-H-A-W.com. Or mm-hmm. very welcome to email me. Always lovely to hear from everybody. And that's linda at drlindashaw.com, L-Y-N-D-A at D-R-L-Y-N-D-A-S-H-A-W.com. Isn't it annoying when you've got a name that you can't actually say easily? <laughs> you have to repeat it by spelling it. <laughs> And what about, are you, is there any sort of social media you're pretty active on? Yeah, I, I, I tend not to be on Twitter anymore, but I'm on LinkedIn. I can be find, found in, in uh, Dr. Linda Shaw on, on LinkedIn um, and, and Facebook, of course, Linda Shaw 22. I, yeah. And so if people want to find out more about your course, I guess, is your website the best place to go to? Um, my website is under construction at we mo- as, as we speak, which is all rather exciting and always a work in progress, of course. But um, you're very welcome to have a look at my website. But if you do want to know anything specific about it, then email me is better. Okay. And your uh, is your book available on Amazon? It is available on Amazon. Yep. Yeah. Your, um, your brain is boss. And finally, before we finish, oh, finally, there's going to be two more things. So as, as we're talking about books, is there a book, and we, you've already recommended a couple of books during the course of the episode, but is there a book that you would recommend to people for whatever reason? The book that absolutely blew me away, um, I didn't, I think I devoured it in one session, was Man's Search for Meaning. Mm. Um, it's not, a, it's, it's a small book. Um, but it's not an easy read because it's about the Holocaust, but it's absolutely superb by Viktor Frankl. And um, I strongly recommend people read that. And um, what was it, what would you say you, that you took from that? What did you get from that book? What did I get from the book? Um, I got from the book the power of hope hmm. and the power of purpose. Hmm. Um, and I, I think both are incredibly linked to our well-being and even longevity um, and it's it, it really did in fact talking about it now I think I might read it again I've mm. read it for a few years now but I, I do recommend it very much mm. Fine enough I just reread that earlier earlier this year in January yes yeah, amazing book 
And and the last thing, Linda, is there a quotation that you particularly like? There is. <clears throat> and I don't even know who wrote it originally. Um, but I am we I we need to live more and more and more in a world of compassion and collaboration and be less judgmental about people who think differently from us. Mm. Everybody's perception is different to everyone else's. So the quote that I love, it's not right, it's not wrong, it just is. Mm. And do you remember when you first, how long ago was it you first came across that? Yeah, I do remember it very clearly. I was at a conference and the speaker on stage was somebody called Denise Lynn and she said it. She may have mm. even wrote it in the first place, but I'm not sure. But yeah, mm. he's a wonderful speaker. Mm. Well, Linda, thank you for your time. It's been a, a pleasure the last hour speaking, you know, learning more about neuroscience and all your fascinating stories. So thank you for your time. Thank you, Tony. It's been really delightful and thank you for your support. Next week is episode nine and we fly over to Singapore to speak with Sid Chawler and we're going to learn a lot more about creativity and whether genius, geniuses are born that way or can we reverse engineer creativity and become geniuses ourselves? So that's next week's episode where we're going to explore the realms of creativity. Sid has written a book all around this subject and we're going to um, find out a lot more about that book and other areas as well. So that's next week's show. Hope you've enjoyed this episode. Please do share it with anyone who you feel would really get some benefit from how Linda was talking about better ways that we can use our brain and about neuroscience in general. And why not subscribe, leave a review for us, and I hope you have a great week.